morning, everyone. Good morning. I know that there's a bunch of dads away, and I'm just doing some arranging here. There's a bunch of kids away, and so we're talking about some wall things. And if you're new here, block your ears. Don't listen to those things. But I'm going to hit the pause button just for a moment. So this is my little contribution to the wall, because uh, you're right, Wes. Um, Yvonne did say, we've got stacks of, stacks of, and so what I thought I'd do just this morning is just, these are my bricks, okay, this is my drawing this morning, these are my bricks, so if that's the wall, currently we have about that much that's kind of covered so far, so right now you could have about two people stick their heads through the wall and just, you could pass coffee there or you could kind of you know, have a little chatter but it kind of is only a little partially done. So what we're hoping for next week in a big way is that we'll have a few things come together because next week we have our regroup following our Engage Sunday. I was talking to uh, another minister of a church this week and they said, you know what, new community is known as being this kind of generous kind of community that goes out and serves its local folk. And I thought, really, we're known by that? Absolutely known by that. So you are known throughout the world, or maybe Victoria, (laughs) as being the people who serve. So I get really energized by that. Uh, Secondly, after the the Engage next week, though, uh, we have our regroup night, which is kind of bunching together all of the Sunday at 6. We start at 6 finish at 7.30, and then we have curry and rice next week, and there's childcare that's going to be available, but it's the space where we get to come together and uh, do some uh, talking about how God's been at work through us in the last quarter. So if, if you call New Community your home, or if you're still checking it out, I want you to come. Would you just put that in? Next week is going to be a big big week. And so I'm kind of stepping out in a bit of faith and I'm going, I don't know if we're just going to have half or a third or maybe just that little, you know, pass the toy through. I think we're up to about $600 on that little xylophone thing that's coming through. And apparently there's a little uh, caveat with it that says, if it stays on Troy's desk for the entire year, (laughs) I'll pay $600 for that little xylophone. If you don't know what I'm talking about, look online on Facebook. So I don't want that to be on my desk. So if you want to take that off, maybe it's going to have to be me. Um, But I'm hoping for a big week. So be praying because next week is one of those big moments at the start of the year where we get to bless our community. So if you haven't signed up, sign up for something. And then in the evening, come and celebrate together as you kind of step out in a bit of a bold faith and be a little bit courageous. We gather together and cover some things really important in the life of our church family. How are we doing? Relaxing? Sunny day out there, and we're talking about courage. What does it mean to be courageous? In fact, that's been our theme for the last six weeks. I'm just going to put that there. There we are. Six decisions that will change your life. And I believe that they will if you respond affirmatively to these six kind of questions and, uh, and apply them to your life, then it will radically change the direction and the course of your life. In fact, why are we talking about this? Because there's a, a thinker and and a theologian by the name of Richard Foster who wrote these words, and I concur with them. Our world is hungry for genuinely changed people. Superficiality is the curse of our age. The doctrine of instant satisfaction is a primary spiritual problem. The desperate need today is not for a greater number of intelligent people or gifted people, but for deep people. And I would add to that, for courageous people. 
And so the six things that we've been covering, and there is the box set all put out for you that you can hang on your fridge and take it with you to a special place, and it spells courageous, is that we started off by saying, what do you do with God? Follow him. What do you do with worry? Cast it on him regularly, routinely. Don't bottle it up all yourself. What do I do with noise or the static in my world that makes me busy? Retreat to him and refresh and energize in who he is. What do I do with my body? Offer it to him. And then what do I do with stuff? There's so much material stuff here in our outer suburban Melbourne. We'll use it for him. And today we want to bring it all together and tie it together as you try and talk about courage and the last magnet. What am I going to do with me? That's my challenge today, to bring this together and to talk about courage and how it relates to me. What am I going to do with me? If there's a word that I think characterizes our culture right now, it would be me. We live in a me-centered culture. Isn't that right? The word that I think characterizes more than any other word who we are is me. It's about me. My wife and I were coming home with our family from Bright's in January. We were driving on the ring road to get back to our house here in Heathmont and the traffic on the ring road was being converged because there was roadworks ahead. There was a man in the four-wheel drive that he was in the sort of the inside lane and I tell you what, he had a me-centered attitude. He was driving a four-wheel drive and he just dared people to be in his way. He literally pushed people off and in and in. He cut one off, then he came close to me. He was edging. He was literally driving, accelerating into the car in front, looking at me, so to say, just dare to scratch my duco. <laughs> I, I, I gave way and I looked at him and he looked back at me and it was as though he had expression on it. It's all about me. It's just about me. We've noticed this in sporting endeavours. A generation ago, if you kicked a goal or scored some runs, people would slap you on the back and give you a clap and say, well done. Nowadays, what happens when someone kicks a goal? What happens when someone goes ahead and does something good? Well, there's this dance around the park, isn't there? It's all about me. Look at me. See what I've done. It's the most magnified. I've seen it. You've seen it. You've seen how social media works with photographs these days. Not picking on anyone in particular, ladies, younger of the kind. They ta- have you seen them taking photographs of themselves? Guys can do this too. They look at the camera, they do this little pose, purse their lips or poke their tongue out, I will spare you. They take a photo and, and then you say to them, well, do you, are you going to post that? They go, no, no, they look back. What are they checking? They're checking to see if it's perfect. And, and then they'll come back and they'll do another one. And then they decide, which is the perfect shot and image of me I want everyone to see? Because it is about me. Don't we live in a me-centered culture? I was listening to Tim Costello, the leader of World Vision, last year at a leadership development course. He said, I was walking along one day down the street and I noticed there was a young lady and she wore a t-shirt. And it said these words, my religion is Kate. (laughs) He said, that struck me. I've never quite seen it like that before. So he said... I edged myself on, so I walked up to the young lady and I said, excuse me, I happen to notice your t-shirt. Who's Kate? She said, well, I'm Kate. (laughs) He said, really? I've just noticed what it said on the t-shirt. She says, that's right, my religion is Kate. 
My religion is, is me. To which he replied, well, good luck with that. <laughs> and then he walked away. We live in a me-centered culture, don't we not? In fact, this happens in churches as well. The, I was talking to a, a leader of a senior church, large church this week, and, and he said, we have a back door out of our church, and we've discovered that 95% of the people that leave, leave because they make their Sunday gathering the only touch point in their week with who we are. And so after about two, three, four years, they figure, something's missing. I need a little bit more. And, and they intuit that to mean they need to go somewhere else, he says, so they leave. But what we want to tell them is, rather than going away somewhere else, we want them to go down and deeper in community. That's what they're really looking for. We live in a me-centered culture, do we not? See, the thing that struck me most about Desmond Doss, when I was watching that movie last year, was that he had sorted through his me. I mean, how did he put up with such persecution? How did he possibly put his body on the line, his emotions on the line, and do a courageous feat of saving in one single night 75 wounded soldiers up on that plateau in Okinawa after a fierce battle? He remained behind when everyone else retreated. And the one simple prayer he had on his lips said, Lord, just give me one more soul. And so he went back into that battlefield, grabbed wounded soldiers, including Japanese, dragged them to the edge of the cliff face that they had retreated from and lowered them down. Seventy-five wounded men. That takes guts. And the only way he could come to that place in his life is when he had dealt with his me. There was something in him that determined that because of what Jesus had done for him, he would give himself back to him and say, Jesus, use me because I have worked through the clash of me's. So if you have your Bible there, or if you have an iOS device, I want you to turn to one simple place in the book of Mark chapter 8. Picking up from verse 34, and this is what is written. It says these words, Then Jesus called the crowd to him, along with his disciples, and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the good news, the gospel of who I am and God's kingdom coming to earth will save it. He says, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is shamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with his holy angels and calls everyone to account for how they have lived before he puts this world back together Again, you see, it seemed in my estimation that Desmond Doss had thoroughly sorted through his me in order to offer himself so fully and openly. Here is Jesus. He's standing the furthest away from Jerusalem. He's standing in a mountain region, Caesarea Philippi. He's just told his disciples he's about to journey towards Jerusalem where he will die And he will rise again. And Peter stands before him and says, you will not. And Jesus looks to Peter and he says, in effect, 
Peter, you understand that I am God's son come for you. Well done. But you do not understand my way. And then he proceeds towards Jerusalem. You see, what Peter didn't understand is that Jesus was trying to say to him, you need to work out your me if you want to follow me. Because Peter, you cannot follow yourself and follow me at the same time. You see, there is a clash of me's. So let me gently ask you and prod you this morning. Have you worked out your me? Because I came out of that cinema at the end of last year and I penned these words after seeing and hearing about that man's life. 23-year-old man. Courage is holding to your convictions whilst under fire, even when it costs you greatly. It so happens our mission statement here at New Community is that we exist to make courageous followers of Jesus Christ. Courage is holding to your convictions whilst under fire, even when it costs you greatly. The only way someone in their world can determine to walk that courageous path is when they have resolved the clash of me's in their life. Who is it you're following? You see, Jesus went on and he said these words to his disciples. In fact, a would-be follower of Jesus understands that God has a plan for this world and their lives and it's good. But if you like, it's broad and sweeping. He's bringing order to the chaos that sometimes in our minds, in our hearts, and in the world around about us. Jesus said this. He came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth after he rose from the dead. Therefore, he says, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. You see, someone who comes to know Jesus understands that they are caught up in a broad, sweeping, bigger picture of what God is doing, not only in them, but wants to work through them for the world as well. He says, I want you to go out and not keep me just to yourself, this good news of my light and my love about a new change and a transformation that God's spirit can be at work in you and bringing order to your mind and order to your heart. So I want you to go. I want you to be bold. I want you to be courageous. But to do that, you have to resolve the clash of me's. He said that to the same people, these followers of him. He said, you're supposed to be like salt. That savors food in the world. I want you to be like that to the world. That sometimes feels like it's decaying. He went on and he said this. He said, you're the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden, no one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house and in the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father because he is good. You see, for someone to be able to do that, they've already answered the question, what am I going to do with me? Who am I going to follow in my life? Am I going to follow me or the one who's given his life for me? 
You see, the good news of Jesus is simply this. is No matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done or has been done to you, God loves you. And he sent his son Jesus to die and rise to new life so that he could take all the darkness that is in your heart and in your mind and place it upon his body on that cross where he died. He said, your sin and wrong for... I will take your sin and wrong upon myself. He gave his life for me. And so Desmond Doss was in a place where he decided, if Jesus has done that for me, then I will give my me to him so that my body could be used for him to do his bidding. Let me ask you gently, but let me ask you directly this morning. Have you dealt with your me? Because sometimes people... They say, I want to follow Jesus, but then a little down the track, their me gets in the way. Before long, they figure out that it's really more about me than him, the one who died for me. So in the clash of the me's, have you resolved the question, what am I going to do with me? See, for the person who's resolved that, I want to give you three tips about courage. The first tip is this. Courage is not stupidity. What Heather is doing is not stupid, although Heather wanted to make sure it was all worked out beforehand. I said, that's okay, Heather. What she's doing is not stupid. That's actually really good. What stupid is is what I did some months ago when I was trying to get to sleep of a nighttime in my house. And I noticed some music. I call it the doof-doof music. Have you ever heard the doof-doof music with the really low bass? You know what I'm talking about in the cars? The doof-doof bass? Yeah. It has a resonance around Heathmont. And so I was in the early hours of the morning trying to get some sleep. And I like my sleep. And uh, I heard the doof-doof start. And it was early in the morning. And the bass just resonated all the way through, past the trees, into, through the window, into my bedroom. <laughs> and I woke up, and the doof doof music went on and on and on, really low bass. Yeah. So in my stupor, I hopped up in my pyjamas and walked out the front door. And I wondered where the doof doof was coming from. And so I began to walk up the street in my pyjamas. And noticed it was coming from the kebab store over the road on Heathmont on Canterbury Road. And, and I got to the traffic lights there and, well, it was early in the morning and I was really tired. I love my sleep. And so I, I walked across Canterbury Road in, in barefoot in my pyjamas. And, and then I, I looked at the car that was there and just kind of figure, is there, is there anyone else around? Like, I just don't want to be completely stupid, just partially stupid. And so I, I got over to the car and, and I looked in and there was just one guy in the car. And so I went up and stood next to his window like this. <laughs> he eventually looked up from his phone, ran down the window and said, yeah. I said, mate, your base is coming into my bedroom and I can't sleep. <laughs> he said, you're kidding me. I said, nah. And he turned it down and I walked back home. Got into bed, went to sleep, woke up in the morning time and thought, that was probably a pretty stupid thing to do. <laughs> right? Did anyone have a camera that night? Because I have not seen it on social media. Courage is not stupidity. But the second thing about courage is this. Is that I tell you this. Courage never feels courageous. 
Courage never feels courageous. If you want to do something courageous, you will never feel courageous about it. Desmond Doss, I'm sure, never felt courageous. He was under the pump, extraordinarily. And so what he did was he determined that he would actually do something because he'd worked out his convictions. He'd answered the question of the me's. Courage never feels courageous. Many years ago when my wife and I were living over in the United States doing our study, we lived in a domestic violence shelter for women who were getting away from really angry men, physically violent men and their kids. And, and we were providing kind of pastoral care and for, this, for this mob of ladies and their kids that were there. There was one lady who lived across the hallway from us. Her name was Cindy. She played her own doof doof music and she had a heart that was really tender, but you just needed to get through all of the exterior barriers and walls on there. You did not want to cross Cindy. Yeah. I remember there was three kids she had. Her oldest kid I used to try and mentor. So we'd walk down the street and we'd play some basketball in the local and we'd just hang out together. And if you nudged him the wrong way, he would literally fall down on the ground and sit there in a huff and he wouldn't do anything. When you tried to walk him back home, he would run away. So here's me, the mentor, trying to mentor someone you're trying to catch. You couldn't even find him at times. So there I'm running down the street to find him. Well, the day came when Bron and I were finishing up in the States and coming back to Australia and Cindy had hurt. And she, she didn't like the abandonment thing, and it had taken a good 12 months to build rapport. And there was something I wanted to share with her. We'd shared every other aspect of our lives with her, but I'd never had a chance to just point it towards the love of God and Jesus. And so I remember praying, because you didn't want to cross or mess with Cindy. Not this one. And I remember opening up the door that day and walking two meters to the other side. I didn't feel courageous, and I knocked on that door. She opened it up. Yeah, what do you want? I said, Cindy, you know, we're going to leave soon, and I'd love to share with you sometime. I would love more than anything else to share with you something that's so important to Bron and I. We just haven't ever had a chance to talk about it. But it's the gift, the best gift that I actually want to talk about. She said, what? And I just pointed her towards Jesus in my feeble, frail kind of way. I don't know what she did with it, but I did it because I cared for her. And I wanted to spend an eternity with her too and her kids. I found out a year or two later, her husband had been released from jail, very violent, went and kidnapped those kids and her six months held out before they were discovered. don't know what she did with that information or how it all works. That was Cindy. Friends, courage never feels like courage. Lastly, courage always has a cost. It'll cost you your time. It'll cost you your money. It will cost you sometimes your relaxation. It will cost you sometimes isolation from others. But be assured of this, courage will cost you greatly. But if you do it for the convictions that you hold true... And you do it lovingly and graciously, God can use it for good. Friends, have you worked out the me? Because if we are going to bless this community, this great city of Maroondah, (laughs) 
We don't care about the other municipalities. <laughs> or who's moving there. <laughs> We've got to sort out the me. Why don't you take this, a little yellow slip right near you. Musos are going to come back up. There's going to be a song that we're going to sing and then we're going to move into a little space for the time that we have. I know we cry and crunch a lot in of communion space if you'd like to participate with us. But it's a little yellow slip. You can take the magnets. You can plan and prepare for next week. Big week next week. Big week. says in this world you will have troubles Jesus says but take courage for I've overcome the world but then on the back side it has a simple question that requires a very simple response between you and God in what area of your life is God asking you right here right now to be courageous for him they're going to sing a song in a moment And as they're singing, I'd like you to pause and reflect and pray and say, God, how do you want me to be courageous? Maybe you're here this morning and just checking out who Jesus is. It still applies to you in terms of being courageous, but you might like to write a different thing down. But nonetheless, I believe that God's Spirit wants to speak to us here in this space. That you might take a pen and that you might write your response as a decision. you might carry this with you throughout this year of 2017 when you wake in the morning time you can say God this is what you've called me to do to be courageous I want to do it help me help me the most obvious prayer of a follower of Jesus help and then thank you you see Christianity is a dying faith you've got to die to get in And you've got to die to the me daily to live for him. So have a listen to these words and respond and write as you sense God nudging 